On the tee from the United States of America, the Back Nine Bros, starting in three, two, one. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another week's episode of the Back Nine Bros podcast. Uh, this week, special week, we have JT Griffin joining us, G-Tech alum uh, out of North Carolina. And we're just here to talk golf, uh, golf, personal life, anything that is relevant to the game and for others to kind of tap into what what you're thinking, how you're feeling right now and allow us to gain a better perspective and just spread that perspective around. So we've got Paul, we got Drew. Uh, and so, yeah, let's just kick things off. JT, thanks for coming out this morning. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've uh, been looking forward to hopping on with you guys. It's um, something you don't get to do every day. So anytime somebody invites me to a podcast, I'd love to talk golf and talk shop. Awesome. Yeah. So, where are you at right now, if you don't mind us asking? Uh, Golf-wise or location-wise? Why not both, right? <laughs> uh, location-wise, I'm in Atlanta. Um, we're just north of Atlanta and Marietta. Uh, Golf-wise, I lost status this, this year, and I took a kind of a part-time job. Not really a part-time job, but um, testing the waters with a grip company on tour, um, two thumb grips. And I'm riding that and just kind of seeing the other side of it, and I've, you know, I was – sitting on the couch and I needed to bring some money in somehow. I got a little boy now and um, I needed to do something that, you know, brought in some cash just sitting on the couch trying to play mini tours events and really a way to feed a family. So kind of pivoting some and seeing it from a different perspective. And it's been a healthy, healthy change of pace for sure. That's great. Um, that you're finding that you're able to do something else and that healthy change of pace. So, Let's kick it off. I'm not much of a, a golf mind, I'd say. I'm more okay. of the one for the socials. So we'll kick it off with Paul and Drew. So you guys, why don't we just dive into it? Well, Saul's so, so being a little modest. Saul was, uh, so was a pretty good high school player uh, back in the day. He uh, High school and a little bit of college, but then it fell off from there. And that's why, that's why I work now and I don't have the opportunity to play as much, unfortunately. Work, work until 1.30 in the morning. That Saul's loving that grind. But um I'd yeah, take no. off 10 times over that, man. <laughs> he so wishes he had your job, JT. <laughs> it, it's good when it's good and it's bad when it's bad, just like any <laughs> job. But at least you're kind of doing what you want to be doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, I mean, JT, I mean, obviously you've played, you know, full-time Corn Ferry Tour, Web.com Tour. So, yep. um, you know, just talk to the to our listeners a little bit about, you know, how – how tough it really is to make it out there and, you know, um, consistently retain your card and, and to even, you know, get your card in the first place. Um, getting your card is definitely a struggle. The The second stage of Q school, I always tell people it's probably the hardest tournament in golf. Um, you either have a job next year or you don't. So that's kind of the, that's the biggest hurdle. Um, I kind of had the second stage monkey on my back for a few years and then, once I got out there, I was okay. Um, it's it's hard to stay patient on the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, there's only 25 spots. You don't really have time to work on anything. You know, you've got a – or on tour, you got 125 people keep their jobs. So having 25 spots to graduate to the next level, it kind of – it makes you panic a little bit and you feel like you have to play every event. So setting your schedule, you, you know, guys only take two weeks off on the Corn Ferry Tour and it's just hard. It's just a – full out sprint where you, you know, it's kind of a, it's a wedge content. We used to call it the wedge.com when it was called web.com. And um, it's just, uh, it's a full sprint. And 
Um, it, it's really fun. It's good. To, it's more of a, I'd say a fraternity out there, um, more so than the big tour where guys, you know, you, you're struggling together. So when you're struggling together, you kind of lean on each other and um, you, you build some great friendships for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. I mean, um, sorry, you were going to say something, Ruby? Yeah, yeah. I was just wondering, you know, going off of that, how do you deal with the grind of continuing to play all the time? You know, on the PJ Tour, it's easier to select your schedule. These guys have more comfortability with their status and stuff. Sure. How do you deal with fatigue? How do you deal with, you know, hey, I'm playing my fourth week in a row and it's the second round and I'm battling to make the cut late in the afternoon? Not well. I don't deal with it very well, which is why I'm – uh I've got, I'm not in Panama right now. Um, you know, you gotta, you have to rest at some point. And a lot of times if you're going four weeks in a row, you, I mean, you're really resting on Monday. Most of the time that's kind of a travel day. I tried to come home each Sunday and go back out Tuesday morning just to kind of have that break where I'm seeing family and there is a bit of reprieve where you're not just, you know, doing laundry at the laundromat and, that just beats you up. Um, it, beat, it beat me up. Uh, but, you know, there's there's not a great answer to that. Um, you know, guys on tour, on the big tour, usually don't go more than three weeks in a row. And then, you know, I went a stretch last year or two years ago after my son was born. I played the last seven, and I was just fried. Um, so it's, a, it's definitely a balancing act. And, um, you know, the worse you play, the more you kind of chase it, which is – I've learned kind of the hard way is not the way to do it. If, if I could kind of go back and learn from some mistakes, I would, when I'm playing poorly, that's when you take the break um, instead of kind of doing it the other way to where I, I would just, you're just chasing your tail at some point. Cause you feel like you need to, every time you don't play, you're going backwards. Um, so if I could go back, I, I would definitely take breaks when I was struggling um, more so than when I was on a heater. Um, also, you know, I, I just wanted to take a quick pivot here on this one because uh, I meant to ask you about this. I noticed on your hat, you got your, your clothing brand, Lewis Lloyd. Yeah. Can uh, tell the listeners when you started that? Well, I didn't start it. Um, a good, one of my best friends, um, in Atlanta, he's in design and he, uh, you know, he's kind of got his foot in everything. And he was like, I want to, I want to start a clothing line. He and he and another one of our buddies started it and, um, their middle names is Lewis and Lloyd. So it's Louie Lloyd. And, um, they've, you know, I've done some stuff with my parents during the clothing industry. So it was kind of an easy, easy fit. And they, you know, they do great head covers, kind of do some, it's more of a, more of a custom brand. I'd say you can kind of get what you want and, um, you don't have to order big quantities. And, but now it's been fun to kind of be behind the scenes of that. Just, uh, you know, give my two cents. Yeah. Going off of clothing, are you like a uh, you a bright colors guy out on tour? Or are you kind of just a. I'm not. I, I wear navy almost every day. <laughs> I mean, I'm a I'm a blues blues kind of guy in North Carolina. You're, I'm wearing Carolina blue and Duke blue and navy, and so I, I keep it pretty pretty neutral. I don't like to to stand out in that regard. Look, those yeah. are the those are the old reliable colors right there. They can go with anything. They are. You're good. And I like guys, to be able to. I like to be able to go straight to dinner from the golf course and not look like an idiot. Yeah, I guess Ricky Fowler looks like kind of an idiot after he would wear that. 
if you're Ricky Fowler, then you can do whatever you want to. He's he's known for that. He's he's got the the record to be able to wear that to dinner and be fine. But but I've seen Ricky out. He usually goes and changes for you before he goes to the bar. Yeah. <laughs> so real quick, when you said that uh, it was a fraternity kind of on like the the wedge dot com tours, he's called yeah. it, or even the different tours when the guys are kind of in the trenches together. Um, you kind of brother up and you become like pretty close and you kind of share your struggles together. I completely understand that when you say the fraternity aspect of like the friendship, but outside of that, were there any like some crazy fun nights with you guys out in the tour where one of your guys hits it and you guys want to go out and celebrate? God, not, not really. We're also fried when we get done. Um, You know, honestly, the, the bigger nights are the ones that people miss the cuts the friday nights are always the bigger cuts the bigger bigger nights than the um than the sunday mm-hmm. you know we'll we'll kind of get together for dinner the following week but as far as as far as really getting after that's kind of the old school the old school drinking days of playing golf everybody's kind of got their own routine and um you know you, you've got to stay sharp for the following week so there's not really unfortunately i don't have many great stories of of really getting after it after uh after playing. Nah, it's all good. I, I kind of throw in that question sometimes. <laughs> no, that's a great question. <laughs> Everyone's hesitant. Yeah, uh, not well, yeah, I can understand that. No, um, no one wants to spill any of the beans when Saul asked that question. <laughs> I know. Oh, well, I mean yeah, true. I guess it's smart on everyone else's end. No, nah, well, and there's not really that you know, you, you hear some stories from other, it's usually, honestly, it's usually the older guys, like the guys that come back and um, the guys that have played on tour for a while and just want to, want to have a good time. But as far as the guys that are grinding and trying to kind of climb the ladder, you don't, you don't get too much riffraff. Going off of uh, favorite moments that you've had, what's your favorite shot you've ever hit? in tournament play like you're most under pressure like gotta pull it off or just maybe a shot you hit that's just really memorable to you you know it's not that great a shot but there was a shot in uh florida was kind of the first event that kind of broke through and played well on monday then and um but lakewood ranch and down sarasota and it was you know it's a par three the guys that have played it will will know it it's on the back nine it's 13 kind of waterfront right and was back right and I I have a hard time with off the left wind um you know I just I started I kind of I hit a draw I started right at target a lot of times and the pin was in the back right and it was about 205 and kind of down and out of the left and the the green's kind of like a little p-shaped around and um it was the most satisfying six I ever hit and it was I hit it to 30 feet but at that moment I needed I needed to play well and to not make a five on that hole. You know, it's the only thing I couldn't do was make double and finish 15th or 16th. And um, I hit it and flushed it and came right out of there and drew up against the wind. And that was probably the most satisfying shot I've hit. It was, you know, looking at it, and if you saw it from the back of the tee, you probably would go, eh, that's a good safe shot. But it was exactly what I needed at the time. And those are always the good ones to me where I stay disciplined and hit it kind of the proper shot where I was trying to hit it. You know, you can always stuff one in there, but you're like, wasn't really the right shot. It, you get away with them sometimes, but hitting a discipline shot and kind of being a rewarder for it is kind of what I like to do. 
That's cool to hear too. That that kind of takes us a step into your mind of the way you think on the golf course. So many guys, when you ask that question, it's like, oh, I hold out for eagle on four or whatever. The fact that you hit a shot to thirty feet and you mentioned that it's, it's pretty cool to hear. Yeah, that's the one I always try to visualize when I'm kind of in a in a pickle and kind of need to hit a shot. It's just everything just it felt right. It was it everything slowed down and. Um, I like. I remember the ones when you you slow down. You can kind of feel every part of it. You can almost you can almost taste it, for sure. So is this like the the, the toughest hole in the back, or the last like tough hole that you had? Coming? It was. It was just a hole you can't make. It's just the there's like three or four holes on a golf course every week that you just kind of got to get through. Yeah. Um. There's well probably three or four shots, not necessarily the holes, but that was just one of those shots that. You can stand on the tee, you can dump it in the water, and then you go to the drop zone. You're hitting it from 140 to the same pin with the same kind of deal. And I just, you know, I couldn't afford to, at that point, I needed to at least top 25 to get into um, the following week. And then we had two par fives coming up. So it was it was very much, uh, you know, second to last group. I needed to um, kind of hunker down and be able to make some birdies on the back end. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it kind of spurred that. I, I birdied the next par five and eagled 16. So it was kind of one of those things if I had hit it, if I'd made bogey there double, I probably don't birdie the next hole, which is a par five, pretty gettable. And it can, things like that can snowball pretty. Momentum is very much a thing. It's it's crazy how like one shot can just change a whole round. It's it's, it's crazy to think about in golf. It's, a, it's yeah. annoying. It's yeah. annoying is what it is. It's very annoying. Yeah, it's it's the death of me and the epitome of my downfall every time. It's like one <laughs> shot, water off yeah. the left, and then I just kind of overdraw the ball in, start it too too far left, and just snowballs an entire round. At least it's, it's at every level. It's at every level. I mean, the guys who are so good are the ones that um, are able to not live and die on one shot in a way. They're able to kind of maybe downplay the important shots. Um, but those are the elite. Those are who you kind of look at and envy. Yeah, it's it's not even necessarily who makes the most birdies. It's who who makes the least mistakes. And you know, it's I mean, like we say, golf is a game of misses. So I mean, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much. Um, you know, I would say all the best players. You know, they they don't make big numbers on holes, and they 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 limit the damage as best they can so they just don't make two or three bogeys in a row they make yeah. one they're fine they don't play the next hole emotionally and i mean there was a stat that tiger i think for i don't know how many years it was when he was dominating like he was he he didn't make three bogeys in a row ever i think it was like a 10-year stretch where he never made three bogeys in a row which is ridiculous yeah that's that's crazy. So have yeah, you ever yeah. done that? <laughs> no, but I mean, most of the stats when Tiger was like at, at his peak, um, just or when he was world number one for X amount of weeks, the guys now, like when they're at the world number one for like 36 weeks, it's, oh yeah, they're, that's great for them. But Tiger did it for like five times the amount of time they yeah. did. And they'd have it's to do it for the next like four years. It's insane. Yeah. The reason, well, I think it's harder now too because of Tiger. There's so many guys that play now that that wouldn't have played until he came along, and you know they've made the golf courses so much harder because of him. So there is a little bit of like, you know, he was playing softer greens. The I don't think the competition was as deep. You know, people argue me on that. I'll get some hate from that, but um, 
you know, he like it's just insane. And I just I don't think anybody will ever do it again. I mean, as dominant as Rama is right now, he you know, he had a chance to win three in a row and Tigers won five in a row like three or four times. It's just a joke. Yeah. So was Tiger your guy growing up or I loved Tiger. I mean, everybody loved Tiger. I was probably the first time I remember Tiger was the US Amateurs. Um, so I was probably eight or nine when he won at Sawgrass. And then I just kind of followed him along. I I walked with him. My parents lived in I mean, my grandparents lived in Hilton Head and they had a college event and I went and walked around with the Stanford team and yeah, I mean he was he was my guy. I loved golf anyway though, kind of before Tiger came along, but he made it he made it cool. He made it okay to go to school and say you played golf. Yeah. I remember going to school and saying I play golf and people are like that's more of an activity, not a sport. And I yeah, always say, sure. Well, if you think if you think like cheerleading's a sport or dancing's a sport, then like golf's equally is a, a sport. <laughs> so get out get off my back. Like, come on. Uh, exactly. Um, real a quick pivot here, JT. So looking at your Instagram too. Um, I see that you're a big acoustic guitar guy. Um, I'm in the if, guitar room right now. Nice. So if <laughs> if you walk into a room, see an acoustic guitar, and there's, it's just like your friends around. What's the first song you're plucking? Mm, that's a good. That's a good question. Um, you know, my my best friend here in Atlanta is a musician, so I play a ton of his stuff and just tell people it's mine. Um, people Smart that don't man. know it. Um, I love, you know, I grew up in the John Mayer, Dave Matthews kind of genre, and um, Dan Lagos from Augustana is probably my favorite musician, but he doesn't, he doesn't really stand out. He's more of a writer now. Um, but you know, I'd probably go. God, if I'm just playing something, I love Forty One by Dave Matthews. That's a, that's a good one to just kind of, kind of strum out. No, yeah. I mean, I live in this New York City with a couple of roommates and they both love acoustic guitars. They have their own little like musician duo that they travel around in different bars and play. And they play a ton of like uh, Dave Matthews, Mayer, all that. So very familiar. Yeah, that's kind of where that's kind of what I grew up on. The Matchbox 20, the the Dave, the um, God, I'm trying to think of it. just any kind of growling, you know, 2000 band that. They all wanted to sound like Eddie Vedder, so. So, so JT is would guitar be your outlet? Like, let's say you have a rough day in the course and you just want to, you know, not do much or just kind of clear your head. Is that is that what you're doing? Like, I know a lot of guys go fishing or, you know, go hunting or something like that. Is that is guitar your thing? Yeah, guitar is kind of my thing. I, any kind of music, I like guitar and piano, and I do a lot of it at home. Um, I, I don't travel. I I got a I bought a mini one a few years ago to travel with, but I still don't really travel with it. It's just not that practical. Um, but yeah, I've definitely gone to guitar center on the road and gone in there and just hung out for a couple hours. It's kind of like my golf store. <laughs> so I'll Man. go, I'll go see the new stuff and, and sit that's, in that acoustic that's incredible. Uh, yeah. So another quick question like off the course, how do you manage like having a, like a little one uh, and traveling? Like that's, when you said earlier that after on Sundays from events you'd go home for a couple of mm-hmm. days, I'd imagine that was just to see your little boy. Um, yeah. So now that like that like prior you didn't have a child, so like now that you do, how does that influence your like off course activity? Does that devote like fifty to sixty to seventy percent of your time to family in the house, or 
are you still getting out there and playing as much as you can? At, at home, I'm not playing a lot. Um, I'm kind of home when I'm when I'm home. Um, I haven't managed it very well because when I'm home, I feel like I need to be on the golf course working, and when I'm on the golf course working, I want to be home. So I've really had a hard time with balancing the not really the desire and the fire to be playing, but there's almost a guilty conscience when you're gone to where I'm just leaving, leaving Graham and Mary Caitlin. She's just kind of taking grenades all day for two and three weeks at a time. Um, so it's definitely been a, a learning curve that I, I haven't mastered at all. Um, but the, you know, all the time kind of away is, is here. I, I think it's, I think it's really healthy when you're playing well. And I think it's one of those things that, um, once I can kind of figure out how to do it, it'll be very beneficial and it takes some, I guess it takes some priority away from golf, but when you're playing bad, I mean, it just, it's kind of, it's a bit of a vicious cycle of never being present when I'm on the golf course. So my brain's at home when I'm at home, my brain's at the golf course. So it's, it's definitely a hard, it's been something that I've, I've got to get better at. Hey, JT, pivoting back to golf, I know, um, I guess this is on the level of uh, of youth and childhood. Your college team, your Georgia Tech team, you had some pretty good teammates yourself. Included, For sure. Like guys with the likes of Tringali. Uh, I think Seth Reeves is on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, guys like Paul that. Paul Haley. Paul Haley. He was on that uh, team. Richard Rinsky was on that team. So we, there you go. Justin you Hadley. Could, uh, let's, you keep going. Um, yeah. The guys uh, – Guys like that, playing with guys like that in college, they talk a lot nowadays about how much easier it is for a guy who goes to an SEC school. It's like pretty much a warm-up for professional golf. Yeah. How much easier was it for you to get into professional golf or maybe the opposite because you played on a team like that? I'm wondering if you have any stories from that team and just like how cool it was to just be a bunch of guys that now play professional golf that were that good at golf. It's – um, I'd say it's both ways. i say it's – the belief that you can play out there because there's so many of us that are playing out there is, um, it's pretty cool. The getting beat every day and hardly ever winning is also another part that you don't really look at. Um, you know, you we're playing East Lake from two steps off the back in the winter. And, you know, sometimes 72 is a good score. Um, you're not really playing in that at the professional level. And I I kind of didn't learn how to go low. I learned how to – my comfort level was two or three under um, to where when you get out on tour, some of the guys have made the transition really well to where they can go shoot eight or nine under when they need to. I get queasy when I get to seven under. Um, it's just not – it's out of my comfort zone. Um, as far as the competition and being able to lean on guys, it's it, – there's nothing better. Um, but I definitely think you 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 need to learn how to win. Um, and, you know, I, when I'm talking to kids that are coming up to college, um, they need to go somewhere that they can. There's like such a fine line of going somewhere where you will play and somewhere that's going to be world class. Um, so you, you have to kind of find that challenging enough to where it pushes you, but doesn't just destroy you. And it's destroyed. So like there's players on our team that, came in and we're supposed to be world beaters and it beat them down. Um, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast to where, you know, I would definitely advise 
the kids coming to college to find the right pick, not necessarily I want to go to Oklahoma State or Alabama or Georgia Tech. Like, make sure you find that right niche. I know I kind of went off on your question, but that was. No, 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 for sure. It's exactly what I hear. It's, I mean, I played college golf myself, not at that big of a level, but would you say from your experience, what you learn in college is less of more making birdies and just more, you know, I, I've played in those cold winters, the spring after winter, you barely even want to be out there more of, more of just avoiding the big number. I feel like that teaches guys who are now on tour a lot about that. Like, Hey, I need to make bars. It's like, cause you're not playing in the freezing cold on professional golf. So it's kind of like, yeah, I learned how to, how to grind it out and make a par. So now I can take the next step of learning to make a lot of birdies in a row. You learn the grind big time. Like that's something that when, you know, and the, my other teammates, whenever the weather's really bad, um, there's always going to be a Georgia Tech guy out there because we always played through it. We always, you know, if the winner's eight to 10 under, you can count on somebody being up there um, to where you just, you just kind of take it and move on because, you know, our, our coach said he didn't pull us off the course for really anything. Um, so we, you know, it was great to toughen up like that. And um, if you need somebody to grind it out, it's, you know, it's very, we're good at that. Um, I do wish that we had learned how to score a little better to where there was some weeks where we'd play from the red tees or whatever, just so you get used to shooting low, low 60s and kind of kind of exercising that muscle a little bit too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know like, you know, for the Corn Ferry Tour, like you said, um, you know, or when they call it the wedge.com tour, it's, you know, everyone's trying to shoot as low as you can possibly go. So um, oh, yeah. there are definitely weeks out there where it's like, you know, I've got to shoot 64, 65 just to, you know, be, be inside the top 10. <laughs> um, so, but I just, before we run out of time here, JT, I, I was curious, you know, you know, who got you into golf? Like what, what, what was the drive? I know you said Tiger was your guy growing up, but you know, you liked golf before that. So what, what really got you into the game? Uh, my dad, he, um, my dad was left-handed and he kind of got the itch after college. And then I came along and he would, you know, and he would take care of me. He'd take me out and put me on the other side of the golf balls. And I would just kind of mirror image him. He was great at, you know, I, I didn't understand it at the time because it was just my reality, but, you know, we played every day after school. He was so involved and um, I see kids now that get dropped off and they're kind of on their own. And, um, you know, that's something that my dad and I will always have that's meaningful and really special. And hopefully I can kind of pass down to Graham. And um, he's, he's kind of the reason I got into it. I loved all sports, but, you know, just, whenever you get to hang out with your dad and his friends, it's kind of a special deal. And, you know, I've got a ton of friends that are, you know, 55, 60. There's kind of in my circle that I just, they just kind of took me in and I played golf with. And um, that's, I didn't realize how rare that was until I kind of got out and looked back. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like going out there with your old man. I mean, that's, that's how I got started into the game. I'm sure that's how, so I got started too. Yeah. yeah um you know Drewby, i know your grandfather got you into the game so it's you know it's nothing like going out there and you know with the fresh cut grass on a sunny day on on saturday going out with pops um but also yeah also that bond that you create you excuse me you spend so much time together out in the course like 
play 18 on a weekend, that's four hours, just you and your dad. And that's something that I agree with you, JT, that I'm going to cherish forever because you don't get that opportunity to have that bond that often in any other really environment. And even like the conversations you have, I'm pretty sure my dad gave me the birds and the bees talk on like the fourth hole playing golf. <laughs> like that's how, that's how like deep it went. So uh, I just really, yeah, I agree with you. It's having that bond with your dad, being able to play golf together. It's, it's, it's I don't know anything else that could match up. You, you, you learn so much on a golf course, just from people, you learn life lessons. You, um, I don't, I don't know what people do without it. You know, I play music and I I love basketball and stuff like that. But like, I, I really don't know. It's the best way to keep somebody out of trouble. It's the, you know, best way to learn how to be a man and adult. And, um, you know, because it's an old man's game when you're young and you gotta, you gotta be on your best behavior and not really piss anybody off to get bumped out of the club during the summer. No, yeah, I agree. And even like risk versus reward. Um, integrity and honesty with yourself for and sure. others. It's there's so many life lessons. I actually wrote my college essay for getting into college about like about the game of golf and all the life lessons. So it's great. Understand. There's nothing there's nothing like it that that kind of gives you the the lessons that you carry on and hopefully pass on to to your little ones. So JT, take us through a an ideal day. Um, in the life of JT Griffin, what, what's going on? Obviously there's going to be some golf involved. Who are you playing with? Um, and then maybe some guitar. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, we've got, we've got to ask him too, Matt, before we run out of time after, after that too, you got to follow it up with, uh, if you could play one golf course for the rest of your life, your favorite ever golf course, what would it be? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, ideal days. I like to sleep in. I, I kind of stay up late and, um, you know, we watch shows until we shouldn't. Um, but ideally, I like to wake up around seven thirty-eight, have a big old breakfast. Um, and then the group, the group would kind of be. God, that's so hard because I had I kind of have different categories for those groups. I have like my hanging out with my buddies, catching up categories, and then you know the the other professionals that you play golf with. So I'd probably, honestly, I'd probably go back home. It'd be a Saturday morning game with my dad, um, guy named Huggy, John Hearn has been, you know, my best friend for forever. And um, that'd, that'd be the four ball. That'd be the ideal. And then after that, probably the gym and Dick's hot dog stand and Wilson and call it a night. Um, but that's kind of the deal, but the, you know, the, and then the course I'd play, you know, this week was the first time I've ever been to Pebble beach. Um, I was out there for, for two thumb grips and I was able to walk around Webb for a few holes and Webb and I grew up together. Um, and it was just amazing. Like I would, I would love to be out there playing golf there every day. I don't know if you guys have been out there, but it's, it was, you know, we played Augusta once a year at tech, but um, I'd take that piece of property at, uh, at Pebble probably every day and be, be really happy. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's such a good breathtaking property. been out there once. The only thing I, I, I can't stand about it is when you're playing it and it's open to the public, it's just so damn slow. Uh, I can see I, that. 
everyone's taking i mean it understandable everyone's taking photos of every hole but i love the property i don't like the pace of play that's my only thing uh is it in good shape when it's not during the tournament i've heard that's kind of the knock too i mean it was obviously in good shape this week to me it was, good, it. it was in good shape but i think pole and drew might have a little bit of a different expectation no i mean when i played it it was i mean they actually it was actually aerated unfortunately the green but they had it was yeah, like the little holes so it wasn't like that bad it was greens were still flying so it was it was it was pretty good um i wasn't complaining but no i mean the fairways were pure everything everything was immaculate um obviously but there were just little you know tiny holes in the green that was it maybe just that area in general would be where i'd want to just kind of hang out and play like i drove by cypress and that looks amazing i don't know nobody really knows much about cypress unless you played it um or so unless those, you're, you're jim nance too right yeah exactly i was looking for his house i couldn't tell which one it was i was walking the property they're all huge and beautiful so they're all huge <laughs> and beautiful i don't understand how that many people are that well off for those places on the 17 mile drive beats me too um yeah but jt any last last things you feel like you you want to just throw out there we got like a minute left before we're gonna run out of time no i think i think you guys covered it well we really appreciate you coming on the show um as always thank you for just anything you could have offered and i thought that was a great a great half an hour we had um so thank you very much for your time jt and um yeah we hope we hope you can get back into it and uh swim the club good and uh see your name around a little bit. So thank you from us and uh, hope you have a good weekend, man. Thanks for having me. You guys too.